Just an FYI, guys, this episode contains a lot of adult content. Don't listen to it around your kids. This is a steamy one. Okay. It's a steamy one. It's going to make you blush. It's going to make you clutch your pearls. I just spoke to Rebecca Beltran. She has over 10 years in the adult industry as an escort turned courtesan and 20 years living a polyamorous lifestyle. She also is an artist and a wordsmith. She is very talented. Guys, we hear about her story as a courtesan, but she also gives us some really freaking amazing relationship and sex advice based on her own personal experiences and from listening to her clients. And honestly, you're going to need a pen and paper. You're going to want to write it down. It, it, it's great advice. You're going to love her. Enjoy my friend, Rebecca Beltran. Karen disapproves. Okay, so I like I listened to you on the It Goes Both Ways podcast. And I was like, I really want to get Rebecca on. Like you're so fascinating and you gave them some really great tips. I really want to hear a follow-up to their story because they're like, we promised you a follow-up. So you gave them great (laughs) sex tips and um I wrote some down, <laughs> wrote them down for my own life. Um, anyway, so I'm really glad that you were like, yeah, let's, let's talk. Anyway, do you want to introduce yourself and maybe kind of explain to the audience what it is that you do and sort of your background? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Rebecca and I consider myself a podcaster, a tango dancer and a courtesan. And for podcasting, I have a show called Pleasure Central Radio where I've been for about five years putting out episodes talking about how important pleasure is in my life. And by pleasure, I mean all all kinds of pleasure, not just physical sexual pleasure, but that's definitely a big component of what's important to me. Uh, But pleasure is basically anything that feels good that you have more energy after than it takes to do the thing. And that can run the gamut. There's plenty of things that are pleasurable. But I've been posting episodes on that particular topic. A lot of them are about relationships and sexuality, but just pleasure in general and things that I've found to be pleasurable, including tango dancing. I'm a very physical person. So I've been a dancer or done martial arts or some kind of focused physical outlet for many, many years. And every time that I take on something like that and I study it deeper and farther, I find that everything in my life has improved. My sex life has improved. My relationships are improved. So I often talk about those types of things on the show as well. And uh, yeah. I I love ballroom dancing, right? Tango's considered it's in the ballroom dance category, right? I love it. Like swing dancing. And I did a little bit of salsa. I love it. And I wish my husband would do it with me. Uh, it's interesting learning how to ballroom dance or do any kind of partner dance with someone who you are in a relationship with, but haven't already learned how to dance with. It adds a whole extra level of challenge, especially um, if you don't have any of that body training or dance experience to begin with, the learning curve is very, very steep. And it's easy to get frustrated both as the lead and the follow whoever's taking whichever role. So I think dance is a fabulous thing and everyone should learn how to dance. And if you're starting to learn how to dance with your partner, be aware that you may not show up for each other the way you expect. So that's, that's my little tip there. (laughs) You know what? I will say that actually is true. I have found that where I'm like, 
because you know in a lot of dances the the may like the man takes the lead and i'm just like okay but you i know how to do this dance better than you do so let me just show you <laughs> you know let me take the lead so there is a little bit of that dynamic for sure i think it's really beautiful when partnerships when partners are willing to let the let people go and dance with other people because it's kind of like having a little miniature love affair mm -hmm. it's socially acceptable to have this five minute or 12 minute love affair on the dance floor with someone who you don't know and it can be a really beautiful intimate opening experience so well yeah. and you know what's so funny is that is what my husband hates about group like couple dancing because I've done we did salsa classes together and I think we went to a swing dance uh together and he hated that we had to switch partners so then we started doing some videos in our house and um that was more comfortable for him, but that's kind of what I liked of Dan about dancing. I got to dance with different partners and some were like super, super good. And the others not so good, but I just was able to just experience like what it was like to be with somebody who was like, this like incredible dancer. And then my husband's still learning. So yeah, it was, <laughs> I can see, totally see that. And yeah, that's what my husband hated most about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the great thing about that is when, when your partner is willing to be okay with it, dancing with someone who is at a very different skill level, especially as a follow can be a very, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's a very pleasant experience because they can make you look so good. Yes. Even when you're only a little bit good. Yeah. There's so a lot of freedom in it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of freedom. It's oftentimes the sensation of being able to fly across the dance floor and being miraculous. Yes. Uh, coordinated and I love it. I, I think yeah. it's a beautiful thing. So I wanted to hear what, so what is a courtesan? I think a lot of people might not be familiar with this term. Uh, well, courtesan is an old word. It comes from mid something centuries, uh, Italy, I believe, but it was often a woman who had an unusual amount of freedom and she was usually patronized by people that wanted to help get her art out in the world some way. So they, maybe she was a dancer and a famous ballerina and someone would buy her an apartment or, you know, set her up in some place so that she could do her art and do it well. And oftentimes they would have a various different patrons, but it would just kind of, would, would kind of depend and I feel like that's the kind of thing that my work has developed into over the last decade of being a sex worker. And it's been pretty cool to be able to create this world that I want to live in every day and have other people who want to come and be a part of it with me, um, both on the personal level and my clients want to be, you know, be a part of this beautiful world that I'm creating this artistic space that I've set up. So yeah, that's how I generally define it. Yeah. So what, so what's the art for me? My art is tango and words. I, sometimes I use the words on my show because I feel like there's a lot that can be said with a powerful story or when you're able to present a perspective that someone hasn't heard before in a way that really opens them up. I think that has a lot of value. So I do that with my tango and with my podcast. At least I try to. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I was trying to figure out if you were like a poet or something. <laughs> because sometimes, what kind of art does Rebecca do? And I was like, try. I listen to some of your episodes. I'm like, she must be a poet. I, I'm just gonna say she's a poet. That's her art. <laughs> well, for uh, 
long period of time, my podcast wasn't actually public. It was really limited to a smaller group of people. Uh, I did make it public about three years ago, two and a half years ago, something like that. But for a while, it was pretty much run on donations and people who said, hey, yeah, I think this conversation should be out in the world, or I want to hear you talk about this particular thing. Would you please record something Mm -hmm. and put it out? So yeah, yeah. so now it's public and it's open to the wider world, but I still have people that want to patronize and help and get everything that I'm doing off the ground, which is really cool. And I did just do a a tango photo shoot as well with someone, one of my dance partners for years. And that's not up on my website yet, but some of the pictures will be soon. Well, actually, I'm curious because you said like that your work has evolved into more of being a courtesan. So I want to hear a little bit about that um, evolution, I guess. Like how did it start and then how did it sort of turn into what it is currently? Yeah, sure. Uh, So it started about a decade ago. I was getting out of a really serious relationship and I knew that I wanted, I still wanted to be around people and I wanted to make some romantic connections, but I didn't really want to like have a boyfriend or a partner yet, but I, I needed to develop my confidence again. I had been in this relationship for a long time. Didn't even know if I was still sexy. You know, I figured Maybe I was too old to be sexy now. And then I started to, let's see, don't remember exactly where I found the first couple of people, but I do remember the first one I had made a deal with myself because I I didn't really need the money, but I knew that at some point in the near future, I was going to need some money. And I was just curious, could this be a way that would really be fun and enjoyable for me to make my income? And uh, I went on the first date thinking, okay, if I go out and I hate myself later, I will just forgive myself and move on and not worry about it. And that it'll just be a one-time experience. But I had so much fun that in the middle of the appointment, I was like, hell, I don't care if he forgets to pay me. This is great. So we had a really fun date. We had a really good time and, and he didn't forget to pay me. And so I walked out thinking this is a really cool way of exploring and getting to meet people and be intimate with people, but without really having to have a lot of commitment for myself. And that was how I got into it. And it's evolved quite a lot now. Uh, I would say, yeah, I was probably best described as an escort to begin with, but then my clients developed, my own personal desires developed, I started talking about different things on my show, different clients started being attracting, attracted to me. And yeah, it was interesting. I, st- I noticed that really high performers that wanted to do interesting things in the world were my most common client. Mm-hmm. And they had a lot of the same needs and experiences that I had had. And so we were able to make some really great connections and support each other through some powerful life experiences and I thought, how cool is it that I get to pay, I get paid to be an amazing companion for people and help them through this, this, this stuff. And it was interesting because I had before been a companion for people who were older and had dementia. And it felt very similar to that. You know, I was really holding a space for people who couldn't remember to take their pills, but still wanted to have a full life 
couldn't drive but still wanted to explore the city couldn't they didn't really know who they could trust but they were super friendly right so it was it was the kind of thing where I got to go around with them and help them be human and have a really full and beautiful experience and I feel like sometimes that's what I get to do in my other work now so so this wasn't even just like a sexual thing. It sounds like it sounds like you were having, it's almost like these like little, like these mini relationships for a day or however long that, you know, client lasted. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when you got into it, it was sort of like, I sort of want to feel sexy. I want to experience that. And sort of see if I still got it, which clearly you do. (laughs) And then, (laughs) thank you. And how did you, how did you, how did you get your first customer? Like, how do you, how does that work? To be honest, I don't even remember. That was so many years ago. And there were a lot more places online where you could connect with people. Um, I remember that it was online, but I don't remember where, probably wherever it was, it's been shut down by now, but yeah, Basically, the internet is a great connector of interesting people. And that's always been both professionally and personally. Like personally, I use online dating often to find my partners. And uh, I found that it's easier professionally even to do it that way, Mm -hmm. uh, just because that's part of where people are looking. But it's a way that in our society we can explore and connect, having that anonymity the internet to start with. Do, do customers ever like refer you to people and they're like, this was great. I have this other friend or like, is there ever like word of mouth? Sort of though. It kind of depends on which coast you're in. For some reason, the East coasters do seem to brag about their mistresses to their part and you know, to their guy friends and will kind of pass on a name or something but uh on the west coast that doesn't happen so much usually it's the other way around where the women in the industry the other providers will end up recommending other providers to the guys instead of uh guys recommending providers to the other women but it you know it's a pretty progressive state so a lot of things do happen but i found that it's most commonly split like that I'm curious about your upbringing. Was there anything like sort of just different or unique or alternative about the way you were brought up? Uh, yeah, there was all kinds of different things about the way I was brought up. Um, I grew up in a national park and that gave me a really strong appreciation for both the environment and connecting with the earth. But also it was a very, very small town. And so the number of people that you had to interact with was pretty low. And I really, I didn't learn how to make friends early on. Like I feel like going away to college was the first time I was forced to make friends because growing up, my friends were all kind of built in. They were just the other kids in the same grade at school, but going away to college, I had to learn, you know, how to present myself and who I wanted to share my time with and how to prioritize things. Cause all of a sudden there were a ton of people that I could spend time with instead of just eight. So yeah, I think there were a couple of unusual things about my growing up. And then those are two of them. Uh, I do have siblings. My parents 
were together. They probably still would be. Um, my mom died suddenly when I was a kid. Mm. So that changed our household a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was, I would say it was a pretty open and loving environment as much as I can remember it. As an adult, did you feel like you were before you got into sex work or becoming a courtesan, did you feel like you were like a sexual person before that? Yeah, I've, I've been a sexual person for a long, long time. I remember when I was, I don't know how old I was, 9, 10, 11, something like that, at a sleepover. And there was some very mild, sexy interaction with another girl. I was so young that I didn't know what it meant, but looking back on it later as I think 17 or 18, when I figured it out, I was like, oh yeah, there was definitely something interesting there that I could have picked up on. Um, but then let's see, when I was 17, I met my first boyfriend and lost my virginity at 17 to my first guy. And it was a really sweet partnership. We really cared about each other and dated for a long time. Um, we dated for four years until we were not in the same city and while trying to figure out how to deal with that, we came up with the idea of polyamory, which be, means many loves. And I was skeptical at first, but he was hoping that we could try it out. We tried it out. Worked a lot better for me than it did for him at first. But uh, it turned out to really fit who I was starting to become. And so I decided to keep it. I wanted to continue living that way for, and I have since. I'm. 40 now and I was 19 when I made that decision. Oh, really? Okay. So when you're 19, you made this decision to go from monogamy to polyamory. But I, I did hear at one point you did have sort of a long-term monogamous relationship. You were married, right? I did. Yeah, I was married. I was married for a little over eight years and it was a monogamous marriage. I always considered myself a polyamorous person in a monogamous relationship though. Okay. So like you're staying monogamous out of respect to the, your partner. Is that it? To, to the agreement that we had made. Yeah. Yeah. And it was something that at the time I was willing to, yeah. Okay. I think I'm fine with that. Let's, let's do that. That's great. And I'm glad that I did it and I will never do it again. Um, not because it was a bad experience, but because afterwards, while I was exploring myself and connecting even more with my body, because I had come a long way in deconstructing some of the you know, things that society tells women about who we are and how we're supposed to have sex. I'd come a long way in all of that, but I hadn't quite um, figured out how to talk to people about it yet and how to tell people, hey, this is who I am. But I, I was wise enough by then to realize that the most authentic expression of me is intimate with a number of people. And sometimes that intimacy means sex. And sometimes it just means really, really, really close friends, but it's both. And having to corral my instincts or tell myself that I wasn't supposed to have that interaction with that person, it didn't make sense to me. And I realized that anybody that wanted to date me that thought I should do that didn't understand who I am. So once I figured that out, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm never doing that again. So what, would you say that after your marriage is when you became interested in um, sex work? Yeah. 
Yeah, actually I was, let's see, I had moved out of, no, I was about to move out of the house. And one of my friends from a completely different community was looking at moving into a new house. And so I thought, hey, maybe we should move in together. So I ended up calling them up and mm-hmm. said, hey, what do you think about this idea? And they thought it was a really cool concept. They wanted to be my roommate. But then they said, if we're going to be roommates, you should know what I really do for a living. And then they told me what I had been doing with uh, some of these really lovely people dating and going out for the weekend uh, was what she basically did for a living. And I was like, huh, that sounds too good to be true. I really want to know more about that. And so I did some research for myself and looked it up and I thought, you know, I think this could actually be a really, really fun thing. And I think also just because you already were sort of an open person to the polyamorous lifestyle and just sort of like this alternative way of living and being fulfilled, it sounds like you're kind of in the right headspace for, for that moment. Yes. Yeah. I definitely in the right headspace. And also I think that being polyamorous for all of those years gave me a whole new set of communication skills mm-hmm. and ways of being able to speak up for myself that I, I, I learned those, but I learned those through being in a relationship with various people. And those were hugely valuable when I started doing sex work because I could advocate for myself whenever I needed to. I was comfortable walking out the door if I needed to. You know, it made it so much easier to feel comfortable and safe and happy and to change a situation if I didn't. In your experience as a courtesan, has there ever been a time where you have felt like scared or insecure about any of your interactions with your clients? I can't say that I've ever felt scared. I felt before booking an appointment with someone that this is not someone to be alone around, but then I never have an appointment with them. So it ends up being a moot point. Uh, Insecure is a little bit different though. Have I ever been insecure around? Yeah, or, just, or just feeling like uncomfortable in a city. Like once you're there, you're just like, okay, this is not what I expected. I'm feeling pretty uncomfortable. I should probably leave. Sometimes it's only happened a handful of times. And like one of those experiences was I was in a really nice hotel and the person who I was going to meet, who was apparently a really great client of someone that I knew ended up putting his hand in my dress that like putting his hand down my um, neckline while we're sitting at the bar. And I was like, what the hell? All right. This is, this is not respectful. This is too weird. I'm out of here, but it's very rare for, in my experience for that kind of thing to happen to me anyway. Uh, Yeah. Have you had any experiences where you just left feeling like totally fulfilled, just like, I'm like, extremely fulfilled or it was just like a really incredible just different experience for you oh my god yes so many I can't even count them I have helped people understand how to use cock rings and then their sex life is completely different I have helped people come back from prostate surgery which usually leaves someone feeling like they'll never be able to get hard again. And they may never be able to ejaculate again. And sometimes that's true, mm-hmm. but there's been some really fulfilling experiences with helping people work through that and figure out how they can have that 
deep masculinity again and own that in their body. That's so cool. Uh, I've helped a lot of younger guys that have never had a powerful sexual experience, be able to know what that feels like and to learn to listen to a woman's body. And that's amazing. Uh, I've had clients that have really seen what I'm trying to do with my life and given me airline tickets to go to Europe business class and taken me to places that I really wanted to go to because it was important to me. Um, yeah, seriously, so many, I can't even count them all. Yeah. So, so do you have a lot of customers or clients who are long-term clients then? I do have a fair number of long-term clients. I also have a fair number of people who I only see once or twice or who I'll see once or twice a year for a decade. And it varies quite a lot. I enjoy that. I enjoy being able to connect with people when they have the space to connect with me. And to me, that feels like a very positive outgrowth of my polyamory philosophy. Like I want, I want to be able to have the relationship with someone that we can have in the constraints that we've got. If it's an hour or a day or six months, it doesn't really matter but I appreciate being able to have that clarity of that container. And it's way easier with clients to create that container than it is in my personal life. So it's so much more satisfying in a way to be able to do that with someone in a professional capacity. At least I appreciate it. Where's the most uh, like exotic place you've been with a client? Well, I've, I've been to some beautiful beaches. I'll tell you that. I've been to some oh. beautiful beaches that I've really enjoyed. <laughs> have you found that through the years your expectations for clients or your boundaries have grown as well? Oh, hell yeah. And I think that should be the case with pretty much every woman, you know, as we grow and age and we learn more about ourselves, not just women, actually, I think this applies to pretty much everybody, but yeah, my boundaries have shifted and changed. And in some ways they've gotten a lot more elastic because I know more about what is safety and what isn't. But in some ways, it's become much clearer that, hey, I don't want to work with people that are in this particular mindset. And it's not a judgment on them, really. It's just more of a, it's no fun to have somebody in your room that is feeling guilty the entire time. So, yeah, so I have definitely drawn boundaries and updated what my requirements and my rules are. I, I just have a very different brand. It's a very playful and open and ethically non-monogamous brand. So I see a lot more couples and younger single guys or guys that are divorced and don't really have the time to date yet because they're in the middle of their professional life and raising young kids as a part-time dad, right? So yeah, it, it doesn't show up a lot anymore. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's yeah. good, especially that you know what you want. And also I feel like there's an energy that you probably would take away from from those experiences and, and you probably realize what kind of energy that you, you want. Yeah. And like you said, it's, it's just a very different energy and people are attracted to people that are like them. So, yeah. Yeah. What is your most ideal, ideal client? Do you have like just sort of a preference? This year has kind of been the year of the couples for me. And that's been beautiful because actually one of the most fulfilling experiences I had was years ago, there was a couple that came to see me and they ended up coming every six months for a couple of years, just because 
that had been something that was really important to both of them. And I was a very safe place for them to explore it. Yeah. So this year I have had a lot more couples coming to see me. And I think there's a couple of reasons for this. One is uh, the COVID restrictions, particularly in the cities that I've been in, have been pretty strict. And it's much easier for a couple that's been living together the whole time to agree on whether or not they think it's safe to see someone like me. So for some reason, I think that made a lot of things simpler when it came to uh, having couples come and letting them experience things that are something a little bit different. And being someone that can hold this really beautiful professional space of, yeah, you can explore and this is the beginning and this is the end and test yourself out here because it can be really challenging to know how you can get that experience until you have it, right? So practicing with someone who's willing to play a game with you and willing to communicate clearly with you, I think is a really great way to explore. With couples maybe coming to you during the pandemic, because you said your couple's clientele has has increased, right, over the pandemic? Yeah, definitely. I wonder if part of it is, is some couples thinking, okay, let's try, you know, bring in another partner into the relationship. And often the ways they might meet that person, you know, quote unquote, naturally weren't available anymore. So yep. like maybe they're not going to parties or not having couple other couples over for dinner or, you know, however, yep. however people start, um, that's kind of cut off and they're like, well, this is something we really want. So let's reach out and, and have someone who does this professionally come into our home or hotel or whatever, wherever. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely the case. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cause I would think the pandemic would maybe hurt business, but it doesn't sound like it has. You know, it's been interesting. The pandemic has changed my business because at first when it hit, everybody was closing down as much as they could and trying not to go out and see anybody. So it was slow for a little while. But what I found is that there are a lot of younger single techie people in this particular city, and they were some of the first people that were asked to work from home because they can you know, work on Zoom on their computers and how always have been able to. And they were home alone for six weeks, eight weeks, not being able to touch anybody, not being able to connect. And they were the first ones to say, hey, this is important. I need to be touched. Can I come and see you? Right. So that was an interesting thing to navigate is everybody's COVID uh worries and fears and who, how long people were going to get together. But instead of having a handful of clients that I would see for a shorter period of time, I got a much smaller number of people that I would end up seeing for four hours or 12 hours or 24 hours. And it was, it was an interesting shift because I wasn't used to business having that kind of rhythm yet. But once I got used to it, I found that I really liked it. I liked being able to go deeper with more people and, or deeper with fewer people. And it was, it was really pleasant to be able to roll with that in a unique and creative way. Do you prefer it that way? I mean, now that you've experienced that or you're, or you like, a, you like to spice things up and keep it interesting. <laughs> do both. I do like to spice things up and keep it interesting. Uh, I do prefer, 
a handful of people who I spend a whole lot of time with and then just a bunch of people who I spend a little bit of time with, partially because it, it does give me that rhythm of work the way most people have some kind of rhythm of going to work every day, every week. But it also is interesting to meet different people at different points in their lives. So even if it's just a catch up of, hey, how's it going? What, what have you been doing since last month I saw you? It's really fun. And I get a lot of juice from catching up with people that I have that much of a deep connection with. Right. Do you, do you ever feel like socially drained after it all? Usually it's the other way. So I'm an introvert and that means that I get more energy from being alone or from small groups of people than I do big groups of people or people that I don't know. So I find that I'll end up seeing people that I don't know as clients two or three times a month, three or four times a month, maybe. But a lot of people that I know really well, much more often than that. And so it ends up fueling me rather than draining me. And I've had to learn a little bit of balance with that, like how, how long an appointment is and what we do on the appointment can be really draining depending on who I'm with. But once I learn how to be with somebody else, how to share a hotel room overnight with someone and to still be able to hold my own space and be comfortable and make sure I do what I need to do before I get to bed and I get enough sleep and I wake up and I'm feeling good, then that actually became a whole lot easier. In the beginning, did you tell people that you knew loved ones that, you know, you know, that about your new occupation? In the beginning, I told a small group of people who I really knew and trusted because I wasn't, I wasn't sure how it was going to work out. Uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to like it, but I did seem to be really enjoying myself and I wanted to have some people who could have my back if I needed it. So yeah, I told a handful of people that, I'm, that I was really close to who I felt I could be open and honest with. And then over time, I slowly started widening that group point where, you know, within, I don't know, two years, there wasn't really anybody in my friend group that didn't at least have an idea of what it was. And I don't know, I think it took me eight years to tell everybody in my family, but uh, that was mainly because I have, I had a partner who had a daughter at the time and he kept saying, no, no, don't tell him, don't tell him, don't tell your dad. But uh, eventually I was able to get everybody in the loop and on board. And it's been surprising because you would think or at least I think society tells us that people in my position are not supposed to be enjoying themselves or they're supposed to be drug addicts or something else. I don't know. It's usually not a very good view. Sure, sure. People like me. Uh, but my friends who I would share things with, there were people that knew me well enough to know that I, I don't do anything without a good reason. I don't do anything if I'm not going to be happy and comfortable doing it, right? And everybody for the longest time had two questions right off. Are you safe and are you happy? And once they realized I was as safe as I could get and happier than most of them, then it just became like, okay, well, cool. Now maybe I'll come to you for sex advice sometimes. Wow. You sound like you have a very supportive group around, like a very understanding and open group around you. I really do. I think that's been a huge part of my success too. It's not all been people that are polyamorous. I haven't really had that many 
poly friends until I don't know four three or four years ago but I have had for almost as long as I've let's see I have had for at least a decade a really really close group of friends that are non-judgmental and open and kind and they're really wanting to cheerlead everybody on and to help people so it's been lovely having that support and knowing that that's there the whole time it allows me to spread out quite a lot more and to take up more room in the world I think are you typically a like oh like a very just open person and just sort of despite it being like controversial or not you'll you're just like open about your life with people pretty much about what you do just about just any kind of anything that comes up in your life uh pretty much so I tend to have a pretty good gauge about what people are actually wanting to talk about so if I meet someone at the gym and we see each other every week there for a few months and they ask me what I do I'm probably going to tell them that I'm a podcaster and then when they ask me what I podcast about I'll say relationships and sexuality And then they're either intrigued and have a lot more questions and want to know more. And then probably I'll tell them more as as soon as they are asking, or they're just like, okay, that's nice. See you next week. And that's fine too. You know, I don't feel the need to push this in anybody's face, Uh, but I am pretty darn open about it, especially the more that I've learned that the more open I am the more permission it gives other people to be open and to ask me questions. And I get way more fascinating conversations when I just tell people what's real. So I enjoy that. I'd rather have the real conversation. And you sound like you pick up on social cues pretty well (laughs) because you probably, you've worked with a lot of people. So I'm sure you, you get it. Like you kind of know how to speak to people. Uh, maybe. Yeah. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) How have romantic partners been about what you do? Are they being pretty accepting and and open to it or? Yeah. So being someone that's already polyamorous, I find that the people that are in close enough alignment with me on polyamory are generally held yes for do whatever you're going to do at work to help people be open to sexuality and to have healthier sex lives. So I've been very fortunate that way. And I think the fact that I live my values at work and at home makes it much easier to find that alignment so that my romantic partners are understanding of what I'm doing and why. What do you, what do you think the pros and cons are from monogamous versus polyamorous? The pros and cons in general, that's a pretty wide Yeah, question. I guess just like comparing, comparing the two, are there things that you like really loved in a monogamous relationship versus polyamory and vice versa? I don't think for me that question really applies because polyamory is just a natural outgrowth of what I am. So being in a monogamous relationship felt weird. It was lovely in many ways but it also felt limited. It felt like um, I'm not supposed to be all of that. Okay, well, that doesn't make any sense. So it just didn't feel like a match to me. But I I don't really think that there's better and worse Mm -hmm. when it comes to relationship styles. I think there's a better fit for you and a worse fit for you. 
and there's a better fit for you for right now and a worse fit for you for right now. And yeah, I mean, definitely polyamory is something that is likely to trigger everything that you have going on about relationships. Oh my gosh. I, I, whack. <laughs> I have, cause I, I told you, I have somebody very close to me who's in a polyamorous relationship. And I'm like, I would, I would struggle. Like that would be a big, a big, a big struggle for me. I think I would be too jealous. I, I just think I would be, I don't know. Yeah, it's quite possible. Jealousy is not impossible in this world, but it is pretty rare. At least it is pretty rare in my circles. And I think part of the reason for that is that uh, compersion is so high. And most people don't know what compersion means. Compersion, not comparison, but compersion is pleasure at your partner's pleasure. And it's a really common word to hear in the polyamory land, just because that is a big thing that we use to sometimes to fight jealousy, but it's, it's just kind of the opposite of jealousy. They can't exist in the same place at the same time. So if I can find a place of excitement for my partner going out with somebody else, then I've, and I'm in a compersive mode and I won't end up feeling jealous. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be some thoughts that come up that make me feel different, but jealousy and polyamory land is usually seen more as a signal of, oh, hey, there's a thought that you're thinking that's not very helpful. Let's look at that. And uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's not 100% always that, but oftentimes I find that that's the case. Have you ever seen it in, I don't know, in your circle at all, or just people you might know where you've seen somebody clearly or they're, they're game for living a polyamorous lifestyle. And maybe they're bringing their wife into it saying, look, this is how we're going to keep our marriage together. And the wife's not really wanting it, but they're just sort of going along with it. I've seen it. I don't think it's healthy and I don't recommend getting involved in anything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's something that I stay far away from because in my experience that someone that treats someone they care about so much like that is also going to treat me poorly at some point. And I just have got no fucks to deal with that. So sure. sure. How how is time shared with different people, with different partners? Is there like uh, everyone together, we all hang out at once, or is it like equal time shared between all partners? I think that concept of timeshare and equal timeshare behind but between partners is a little bit toxic. I don't share time with people. I just spend time with them. I make time with them. Um, there's something about the sharing time concept that feels like you're being split in many different ways and other people get to decide who you're going to be with and when yeah. and that doesn't, that doesn't make very much sense to me, but and it I sounds do like often. an obligation also. Yeah, sort of. mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And that's not why I'm in it. So yeah, I'm, that's not me. Uh, I do spend time with people on a regular basis. I often will have one partner who I'll see for an overnight dinner and overnight once a week and other people that I'll end up spending a good amount of time with because we'll be living together or we'll be sharing the same space for half the time. Uh, But then it just, it just kind of depends. I think each relationship can change 
as to the space that it needs in my life and the space that it can fit in into my life. And I like to be able to adjust and flow with that as it changes. Do, do clients ever want to turn the, um, what you have with them into like a, like a relationship outside of clients and uh, courtesan? It is pretty normal for people to want that. And I think part of that is that I just get to be very intimate with them. And when they're clients, the amount of time that they're with me, I'm completely focused on them. My cell phone is off. I've been fed. I've been showered. I'm completely comfortable and able to spend 100% of my attention focused in their direction. And that kind of intimacy is really, really tantalizing. And when you combine that with an open you know, non-judgmental person and a playful personality, then it can be very tempting for them to want to take that further. And I found that it's just not a good idea. So I have posted on my website and occasionally had to remind people that, hey, the time that we spend together is an important type of relationship. And it's not the only one that you can have. (laughs) It's not going to work like that. And we're not going to transition from client to uh, being in my personal life. And the, the reason for not changing to client in my personal life is it is awkward, but mainly I also have a personal life. I also have people that I'm dating and it would mean making room for a new person somewhere. And that's not something that I do just on a whim, you know? So plus it seems like a bad idea to, uh, as a business person to stop receiving cash for people and to start just putting all my time into them. Have you, have you ever, or have you ever wanted to turn it into something else? Or you've always kept that boundary up. You've always been really good about that boundary. I have wanted to, I have done it three times and it usually really fucking hurts. So it's not something I'm interested in engaging in. Right. Right. Did those relationships last for like a, 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 for a time period or, or for a long period of time? Uh, they were all different. One of them was about nine months of mostly pen pals, but it was probably the best and healthiest of them all. And I really was able to connect to something deeper in myself in that particular relationship, but the distance was just, you know, it wasn't going to work. And the other two, they were both, the distance wasn't a problem, but there were other things that were a problem. And once I looked at them, I realized, ah, there's a reason why these people wanted to start dating me and then uh, why they weren't able to keep up with the fantasy that they had in their head about me. So I think it's better if we just don't go there. Yeah. 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 You're probably right. Um, I have some audience questions. Are you open to taking some questions from the audience? Sure. So this listener asked, I'm not attracted to my wife after she had our kids. How can I find that attraction again? Oh, that's a good question. I kind of have two answers for this. Um, And one might sound fairly shallow, but I think it's also pretty accurate. We're not attracted to bodies as much as we are attracted to souls and to 
what somebody else cares about. So it is actually fairly simple for your attraction, your physical attraction to someone to continue to grow over years if you're willing to let yourself stay connected to the reality of the person, to their soul and what they want and what they desire, because that is always fresh. That is always different. And people will often ask me, hey, what do you do if you spend time with a client that you're not attracted to? And my answer is, I find something about them to be attracted to because everybody has got some spark, some some beautiful piece of them where when they talk about this thing, they light up and they're passionate. And it, for me, it's not a challenge anymore. I know it's not easy for everybody, but that's how I look at it. And that's an attitude I would recommend trying on. Uh, so that's the first answer. And then the second answer to that question, ask me the question one more time so I can Sure. I'm not attracted to my wife after having kids. How can I find that attraction again? Ah, yes. Okay. So the other piece of it is that it's the connection between the two of you. That is the, is the, uh, attraction. So figuring out what helps her feel sexy is the shortcut to fixing all of this, but what makes her feel sexy is probably going to be hard to find, especially if you've been nitpicking at each other or if you have a history of not being nice to each other. So whatever your version of romance or reconnecting with the person that you married, that will help spark the attraction again. And uh, there is possibly an exception if you've got some physical stuff going on. If you're finding that that's not working, go see a doctor. (laughs) I'm not a doctor, but I know that can really make a difference. Uh, but if that is the case, if you just lost the, the spark and the attraction, look for where it always has been. Oh, that's good. Wow. Rebecca, that was a really good answer. Thanks. <laughs> like really, really good. Damn. Writing this all down or I'll just re-listen, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just re-listen. <laughs> okay. Okay. This one I can relate with. (laughs) Okay. I hate being on top. I'm too lazy for it, but I want to love it. What can I do? Oh, okay. Well, that's not that hard, actually. Um, Lots of different tips here. One is try putting a ton of pillows so you have absolutely no stress in your body. It's an interesting thing. I actually was having lunch with someone who wasn't a client, wasn't related to me in any way, but I was just overhearing this conversation at lunch. And he was talking about a woman he had just met has been insisting on pillows for everything during sex, every position that they change into. She puts pillows so that they're both completely supported and totally comfortable. And he said he never had better sex in his life. And I say, I totally agree with that. Don't underestimate the value of figuring out what is comfortable for you. So being on top, putting the pillow, (laughs) another one. Yeah, well, (laughs) where are they putting? It depends. It depends. So (laughs) if you are wanting to be on top in that you know traditional cowgirl position, you can get some big wedge pillows that will help set the sides. You can relax comfortably on the sides and not have to move very much. Uh, another thing that's really helpful for that, especially if your guy is willing to play with your hips or pick you up a little bit, 
is I tell people, move me how you want me. And then I have a lot less work to do. I just keep up with whatever momentum they're building. And I don't have to be quite so in the moment. And it's a lot simpler physically for me. Yeah. Um, I always like, every time I'm on top, I'm like, I need to go back and do some legs at the gym. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that can be fun. Uh, The other thing is it doesn't have to be very long on top. It can be an incredibly sexy position and you can use the enhanced sexiness of that position. If it works for both you and your partner for that to be a short experience instead of where you spend, you know, 10 or 20 minutes of the fucking. And I think that's pretty fun too, especially if you add the fantasy component to that and you can kind of charge up the idea of that position before you get on top, that can make it all the more enjoyable for everybody. And then also often shorter. Oh, I kind of like that sort of use it as foreplay. you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that, that just make, that would make my life so much easier. Okay. <laughs> Ta-da, you're welcome. <laughs> um, okay. Is there anything I can do to keep my man from finishing before I do every time? Oh, is there any more detail to that question or is that it? No, that's it. Just finishing mm. a cockering. <laughs> so, see what yeah. I know. <laughs> a cockering can work. Yeah. So cockerings are interesting. They affect different people differently. And if they're fitted properly, uh, they will, they will either delay ejaculation or they will make it come faster. So you just kind of play with them and see what works for you. But yeah, cochrane can definitely work. Stay away from the numbing cream. That's not a good idea. Um, if you're not already using condoms, use a condom that can help slow him down a little bit. And what else? So oftentimes him coming before you coming is either in my experience, I haven't been warmed up quite as much as I want to. And I fix that by not letting them go on until I'm ready. (laughs) And it's great because actually men are fantastic creatures and they will continue to please you until you tell them to stop. If you're letting them know that you're really, really enjoying it. So yes, um, the warm up. you got to have the warm up. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, have as much warm up as you want. Because if you can get a bit more warmed up than he is before he starts to come inside you, you're much more likely to be on the same pace. At least that's that's my experience. Right, so, right. how do you have intimacy after having a baby? Our sex life is non-existent. Is that kind of similar to what we what you answered before? Maybe. No, that's a completely different question. Oh, it's a good one. I'm writing it down. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So. Again, I would have a lot more questions for this person to really be able to help them out, but I'll tell you some of the things that I have found to be important and hopefully some of them will apply. And, uh, our, particularly our American culture doesn't really teach us the impact that having a baby puts on a woman, not just on her body, but also on her psychologically. So I would say the people that I've dated, the women that I've dated and the guys that I've dated that have been dads have all said at least 18 months after the uh, baby is born before things start to kind of resemble anything like normal. So in those 18 months, know that first of all, it's kind of normal because your body is recovering. And also 
forget about the, I mean, you're a mom, so you probably understand this, but I have never had kids. I've only been an aunt for many, many times. Uh, having a infant claiming all of your body, like it's a jungle gym all day long for years, all of a sudden your erogenous zones are not sexy anymore. They've been touched by, you know, fish fingered handprints and, and all kinds of things. So knowing that that has got to change is an important piece. Giving people the time to be able to adjust and to shift is important. Um, so yeah, making space for it matters, but then when it becomes time to start re-engaging that rec- uh, recognizing that it's not going to look the same, but it can be better. It's not going to be the same buttons that you used to press. They're going to be in different places. They're going to be in different shapes, but it's still there. There's still the potential for the pleasure. There's still the ability to increase the energy and to excite them and to get them aroused. There's still the potential for two essence, and that two essence is an incredibly healing thing. So all of that is good keep exploring and playing with it and just know that the Hollywood picture of six weeks later, you're back to your normal life after delivering a baby Uh is bullshit. And you don't need to believe that nobody else should either. And you know, if you are great, that's cool. Oh, I tell you when my husband, after I had, well, actually every single baby, he tried to touch my nipples in any way. I like wanted to flick his thing, like flick his mouth away or flick his hands away because those were the babies. That's where the baby eats, you know, like it's, it was felt so unsexy. And now I'm not nursing anymore where I'm like, okay, we, we can go there again. But for a while it was you'd like, don't touch that. That is not your, that is not your playground. Yeah. So what did you think of my advice? Was that useful? Yes. 1000%. Absolutely. And you're right. It changes. It totally changes over time. Like the things that turned me on before, it's just, it's different now. And it, in some ways it's better. And in some ways we're like, okay, we got to figure that out again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But you're, yeah, you're totally, you're totally right. And I think maybe that's people's expectations are the same as they were when they should be just a little bit different after you have kids, maybe. Yeah, there's actually a great book by a neuroscientist, I believe, Dr. Amen, about the biology of women's brains and how it changes over the course of our lives as our hormones change. And it's really helpful because I feel like <clears throat> I feel like me and I'm sure many, many other women have gone through place, had gone through stages in their life where all of a sudden something changes with your body and you feel crazy. You don't feel like yourself. You don't understand why you're acting differently, but there are reasons why we're being different and having some understanding of what's going on before it happens or as it's happening is really helpful. But even if we understand what went on with us years ago, that can be also very healing and help us navigate differently as we move forward. So yeah, I'm a big fan of informing ourselves of those kinds of things so that we can have appropriate expectations of ourselves and our partners. Sure. What's the book called? I need to read this. The name of that book is Unleash the Power of the Female Brain by Dr. Daniel Amen. Oh, wow. All right. I'm getting it. (laughs) All right. How do I get comfortable? This is from a male. How do I get comfortable? Uh, Let me say that again. (laughs) All right. This is from a male. It says, how do I get comfortable and psyched to masturbate again? 
without knowing why he's not comfortable and psyched to masturbate yet, I'm not sure I can help that much. But what I have found is that oftentimes when our masturbation isn't fun anymore, it's because we've escaped the process. We've let our minds go somewhere else and we're just continuing to do this physical pattern that has always worked, but now we're reaching farther for it. You know, we're having to go faster or harder or something. And that intensity level is no longer doing it for us. Or the porn that we're watching is no longer exciting. Or we can't find anything that is exciting because we've watched everything that we've seen. Uh, But whatever the reason may be, in my experience, it's almost always coming back to presence and feeling what my body actually feels like. Because when... I forget to be in the moment with my clitoris or with whatever actually is receiving the stimulation. It is a lot harder to ride that wave of ecstasy. It's a lot harder to even get up on the surfboard if I'm not paying attention. So what is it that helps you pay attention to your body? Like I've mentioned that I'm a very physical person for a long time. What helped me pay attention to my body was just learning Pilates, you know, training twice a week or learning mixed martial arts. I was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu student for many years. And that has a really interesting way of bringing your attention into your body and bringing your presence and consciousness back into your body, even when it's got nothing to do with sexuality explicitly. But having that uh, more internally focused connection I find is usually really helpful. And then, you know, there might have to be some deconstructing of whatever thoughts or beliefs are there that make masturbating not fun anymore. But for me, the first step is always back to presence, back to the body, back to what I'm feeling, actually. Do you meditate? Feeling and experiencing. Uh, I have. I have in the past. I don't meditate on a regular basis right now. But yeah, meditation is a beautiful way of helping tune up your body and your mind. Yeah. I, I mean, I really think being in tune with your body is a learned thing because I am now I think starting to figure out my body in my mid thirties and just even in the simplest things as like mental health or getting sick or like, you know, I mean, and sex of course, but it's like, I'm just now like starting to sort of, I feel like fine tune how I, my awareness with my body and I, I'm in my mid thirties, but I, like, I feel like I'm constantly learning. Well, Hey, guess what? It just gets better. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is the thing that I think we underestimate. We forget the fact that we're going to have our bodies for the rest of our lives and everything that we teach our bodies to do, we're going to know how to do for the rest of our lives. If you learn how to dance now, you're going to know how to dance until you die. If you learn how to have better orgasm now, you're going to have better orgasms until you die. Isn't that lovely? We just that get better. Is that is okay. So here, this one's not a um, this one is not advice, but she has a question for you about your experience. She says, okay. "Are you the same sexually with your client as you are with your partner? Is there anything that you save for your partner that you wouldn't give to a uh, client?" <laughs> that that's actually a good question. I've never heard it asked that way before. Um, 
Yes, there are a couple of things that I prefer to do only with my partners and not with my clients. Some of it is safety related. So I use condoms and protection with all my clients and with some of my partners. Some of them we have different agreements at different times where, you know, that's not something we have to worry about. But uh, as for is there something that I save in particular? You know, what is personal to each person is different and varies. And I have no problem with pretty much all of the fun, sexy things that I enjoy, period, doing them with clients or doing them with my personal partners. But the one thing that I don't like strangers to do, that I won't let strangers do, I don't like strangers to come in my mouth. So that's one thing that like really only my personal partners get that. And uh, I don't know why, but that feels right for me. Yeah. And boy, do they love it. Boy, do guys love doing that. <laughs> yes, they do. It's very gratifying. <laughs> okay. Here's my question for you. Okay. Okay. I would like to know how I, like I said, been married 10 years, we're three kids in. And I tell you, although we've things, some things have gotten better along the way in the bedroom. I would like to know, and not even just in the bedroom, actually, this is not just a better question. This would just be relationship in general. I feel like we have sometimes are very like down to business with just, just not even just in the bedroom, but like in, all right, we got to get the kid down for a nap. We got to get the kids off to school. So we, we get into this sort of uh, routine and it feels like business and I would like it to be more play and more friendship focused because especially when we have more play and we are just friends instead of business partners, our sex is way better too. So, um, and we're just happier, you know, we're just overall, we're just happier people. So I'm wondering with your experience, if you've, I don't know, if you have any advice, how we can just be more playful with each other and just sort of like hone our friendship. Yeah. Well, first I have a question for you. Do you guys have any way of having these conversations about, Hey, we want to play more here. We want to, you know, do more of this here. Do you already have something like that set up where we have those? Com- I mean, we talk, <laughs> I mean, okay. we have those conversations. I don't know. Like we don't, we don't pick a specific time where we have these conversations. Sometimes usually they come up when I'm just like, dude, like we have kind of just been all business this week. Like where's the, where's the fun and romance here. And that's usually when it will come up. It's not like this preventative thing by any means. And when you bring it up, do you guys address it and then find a way to put play in or does it get put off for a while longer? Um, we'll usually say, okay, let's schedule a date. (laughs) Let's get a babysitter and let's go out. Um, yeah. So we usually remember to, Oh yeah. Cause, cause we do try to go out once a week and then sometimes we sort of forget about it and then it'll, you know, things, holidays and stuff come up and then we're just throwing off a routine and we're like, Oh, we haven't really spent alone time together. So that's sort of when we'll bring it up, but yeah. Okay. Well, I have one specific thing that you can do. Okay. And then I have a couple of ideas that you guys could think about implementing if you wanted to. So one thing that you can do is connect to how much you actually enjoy that with him. And you can do that without him. You can do that sitting down and writing in a journal and reminding yourself of all the fun that you've had. 
the great thing about something as simple as that is if you sit down and write for five minutes about there was this fun time that we did this thing, or there was a sexy time that we did this thing, you're reactivating the memory path of that experience. And you're putting yourself back in that same emotional state that you were in when you were having that experience, provided you're talking about it in the way that feels clean, right? If you're like, we had a great time, but the rest of the day sucked, then you're not really moving anything. <laughs> okay. uh, but if, if you're willing to sit there and just remind yourself how good it does feel for five minutes, once a day, once a week, um, you'll notice that you'll start finding the places where you can play and it will be natural and easy for you because you've shifted the momentum of the busy into momentum of playful busy. And that is just enough of a shift to really have uh, a big impact on your relationships. And, and to have, I mean, because it has a big impact on your thoughts, right? Just, just a little bit of changing those thoughts. Oh, absolutely. It. If we are busy, playful with each other, like there's like this friendship, like, yeah, we're busy and the kids are horrible, <laughs> but you know, but we're still friends here and this is teamwork and we are still playing then it, it, yeah, I'm, it make, I'm, it makes me feel just like super happy and fulfilled. And then it feels like everything just sort of falls into place with our relationship and it makes the tough times easier. But yeah, if that's lacking, which at times it can, that's, then I'm just like, damn, this is just like day in, day out, like nine to five sort of feeling life just feels nine to five all day long. Yeah. And that's still fun. I mean, that, that feels like being a workaholic all the time, particularly when, you know, people are working from home now and it's much harder to draw that line between work and private space. What do you hope people will come away understanding about your story? I hope they'll come away understanding that they can create something powerful for themselves and that bravery and kindness is very, very sexy. Yeah. And what do you hope for yourself to get out of life? Like what do, what do you hope most to get out of life? I think it's what I've always hoped for. I hope for adventure. I hope for intimacy. I hope to know people and to love them and for them to see me and to love me as I am. I think when we can do that for each other, then we can build something really cool and interesting and who knows what it'll be, but it'll be interesting. Wow. And where can everybody find your stuff and plug all the things that you're doing? I know you have a subscription-based um, platform also. Uh, yeah, not anymore. Now it's all free. So you can check us out at pleasurecentralradio.com or you can find us on Spotify, Pleasure Central Radio. Yeah. And you're on Instagram now too. And now I'm on Instagram. Yes. Thank you so much for talking to me, Rebecca. You, you seriously have such an interesting story and you give great advice. Um, you're the person I'm coming to for now on for all advice. <laughs> well, I'm so glad. I'm happy to chat. Thank you. Thanks so much for talking to me. 